This is Tim Staten with Tim Stating the Obvious. What is this podcast about? It's simple. You are entitled to great leadership everywhere you go, whether it's to church, whether it's to work, whether it's at your house, you are entitled to great leadership. And so in this podcast, we take leadership principles and theories and turn them into everyday, relatable, and usable advice. And a quick disclaimer, this show, process, or service by trademark, trademark manufacturer, otherwise does not necessarily constitute an implied endorsement of anyone that I employed by or favors them in representation. The views are expressed here in my show are my own expressed and do not necessarily state or reflect those of any employer. Hey, so welcome back, uh, Russell. I really appreciate you having on the sh- uh, show. Uh, the last couple episodes, we we kind of introduced you uh, to the listeners and and what we were going to be talking about. Last week, we talked about taking risk and overcoming our fear and stepping through that with courage. And then this week, we're going to be talking about our feelings and emotions. And if you could just kind of explain, what does that really mean when we talk about building courage and then dealing with our emotions? Yeah, and and thanks for that question, Tim. Because here's here's the key thing. To be a leader, you have to have a facility with working with your own feelings and the feelings of others. You have no choice. And in my experience, much of leadership training just ignores it. So, but it's important because if you can't generate as a leader, if you can't generate enthusiasm or inspiration in the people that are following you or trust or loyalty or urgency or pride, any of those emotions, if you can't generate those in your in your team, they're not going to follow you. You're going to be leading a leader, <laughs> leading a movement of one. So one, you need to be able to ge- generate these feelings in folks on the one hand. And in order to do that, you have got to be a master of your own emotions. We are emotional creatures. We cannot escape it. And leadership is about relationships. So that's why we're talking about it today. Yeah, so you bring up a good point where we need to drum up emotions in other people to keep them motivated, to keep them going forward. Now, when we talk about our own emotions, let's talk about people who tend to wear their emotions on their sleeves and not be fully aware of their emotions and and how they interact with people. So, for instance, I may be mad about something else. And this, and this just recently happened to me the other day. Uh, you know, you, you've heard the don't shoot the messenger uh, quote. So basically, you know, one, I went in and had to tell my boss some, some bad news. And then, yeah, he kind of blew up about it. And everybody in the room, when the meeting was over, he was like, man, he was really mad at you. And I was like, no, he, he wasn't mad at me. He was mad at the situation, right? So can you, can you elaborate on what it is uh, when leaders need to manage their own emotions and then talk about emotional intelligence and how that plays into leadership? Yeah, I mean, big subject. So emotional intelligence is the ability to navigate your own feelings and to be able to work with other people and their feelings. So the greater skill, the greater depthness you have on that, the more effective you're going to be as a leader. And not uncoincidentally, the more you're going to enjoy your life. You know, if you can't navigate your emotions, if you don't know how to manage or work with them, then you're going to be a victim of your own feelings. And that doesn't lead to a good, happy life. So, you know, you give that example of your, your boss blowing up at you. you know, hopefully he has a good relationship with you and he knew you weren't going to take it personally. Right. But at the same time, it looks sounds like he was communicating to the other people in the room, right. That if you bring him bad news, he's going to get mad at you because that's the interpretation I understood from from your story 
And if he is unaware of how his response to you impacts everybody else in the room, then he's going to have people that are not going to feel safe to come to him with bad news. And the one thing a leader needs is to hear the bad news so he can do something about it. No, absolutely. And no, I I was sorry to interrupt real quick, but no, absolutely. And you bring up a great point on that because uh, one, we have we have a great relationship. Um, And and sometimes, you know, people do take it the wrong way because they don't have that same relationship uh, on a deeper level than I have. Uh, with him on that. So that goes back into, um, I did an episode, uh, three episodes ago, and we talked about trends in 2024 and what to look forward to. And one of them was about psychological safety. And there's a study out there that says, you know, we need leaders need to create a psychologically safe place for people to bring up, you know, counterintuitive uh, thoughts, counterintuitive problems, and tell people bad things that they don't want to hear, tell people the things that they need to hear instead of things that they want to hear. I was just curious, what are your thoughts on that? So I, I've got some pretty strong feelings on that. So first of all, to be clear, this, the leader himself or herself does not have a psychological space. If you're a leader, you're out there trying to make things happen. It's scary. It's risky. That's why we called it, talked about courage and how to blow through your fear in the last episode. So a leader cannot expect psychological safety. Doesn't, doesn't come with a job. So. But what the leader needs is a leader needs a team, right, that is comfortable talking about uncomfortable things or is comfortable having good, healthy conflict or is comfortable coming to him with bad news, right? So you can say, well, he needs to develop psychological safety. And for me, I have trouble with that because what you really need to do is develop the people to have the courage to come to you with difficult news. You can't create speaking for myself here, I've never seen a good effective team where the focus is on psychological safety as opposed to developing your people so that they're courageous and willing okay. to take risks. So what I, what I think I hear you saying is, is that people themselves mm-hmm. need to have the courage to speak up and do it independently, regardless of how the leader is going to so take it. The leader needs to develop. So if the leader is going to develop one thing, right? Or, is to develop his team, he or she needs to develop the team to have the courage to have difficult conversations. If you're developing an organization so it's full of safe spaces and your people never develop the courage to have difficult conversations, I can guarantee you there's not a safe, there's not a space safe enough to have the kind of conversations that people working together, particularly in intense uh, situations can have. Those conversations just will not happen, right? So I agree that you need, you know, a leader has to be attuned enough. Like we come back to the example of your boss, right? So you could say he's not creating a safe space there because he's teaching the other people in the room that he's going to get angry at you if you come to him bad news. All right. So he's not creating a safe space. But the real goal for me in in a leader is developing your people so they have the courage to take risks, the courage to say difficult things, the courage to enter into a, a, a conversation where there might be conflict. Because between, you always have discord, you always have conflict between people. It's just part of being human. So for, forgive me for, for dumping on, on safe spaces there, but I, I, I think the, the focus is in the wrong direction. No, not at all. And, and so what, what I really wanted to tie this into is, you know, how do you develop people then 
to be able to take the courage to be able to have those difficult conversations. So kind of how I kind of how I looked at the the psychological safety was is maybe I just lower it a little bit and I'm more in tune with my own emotional intelligence and read the room better and kind of lower the risk to allow the the followers or the people in the room to speak up and kind of develop that courage over time because then if if I create the artificial environment temporarily for people to feel comfortable who may not feel comfortable to overcome a fear and now they speak up and say something and nothing negative happens well now i just reaffirmed it's okay to speak up and say something counterintuitive or or counter to the norm and then eventually over time people will develop that i mean do you agree or disagree with that well yeah that's a, that's an approach okay is to, is to keep raising the bar but you got to remember you're always having turnover within your team you know people leave new people come so there's always going to be the difficulty what do you do with a new person right so yeah you can do that but there are a lot of other ways of developing somebody than in addition to that so one of the examples that i that i like to use or one of the examples when i when i was a leader there are a few things that i started implementing to develop somebody's courage okay to have a difficult conversation, right? Um, and if you're interested, I could I could run through a couple of those of those distinctions or tools that support people in in, in moving forward. What are, your, what are your thoughts there, Tim? Yeah, let's go over okay. that. Yeah, let's go over so, that. One one of the things that we need to look at when we're dealing with feelings, right? <clears throat> Whether it's courage or something else, the feeling is what they are and how to best relate to them. So where people often get into trouble is they mistake their feelings for reality. They mistake that their feelings are an accurate reflection of what's going out in the, out in the world, right? So they're engaged with their feelings as this is the truth, right? So you have two different people have two different feelings about the same thing. They get into a fight. Right. I mean, you just look around this country, they're getting into fights all the time about the same things. Do you wear a mask? Or do you not wear a mask? Right. So one of the first things to do in terms of developing somebody's emotional intelligence is to separate, is for them to understand where their feelings come from and how they generate them themselves. Okay. So let me, let me give an example. Our feelings don't come from aren't triggered by something that happens out in the real world. They come from what we see in the real world and the meaning that we give it. So let me give you just an obvious example that almost no one runs into. You're walking down a, down a path and a snake crosses your path. Okay. So that's the fact. That's what's happened out in the real world. If you're afraid of snakes, you may give the meaning of that snake that you saw as it's dangerous. You say, that snake is dangerous. If you see it as dangerous, the feeling you're going to get is fear, right? Now, if your buddy isn't afraid of snakes or say he's a herpetologist, studies snakes, right? He sees a snake cross the path and he may get curious or gets excited, right? Hey, that's really interesting. I wonder what kind of snake it is. So he has a feeling of excitement or curiosity. Same snake, different feelings and the feelings came because they gave each of those individuals gave 
the snake a different meaning. So our emotions come not from the reality, but from our interpretation or the meaning that we're given to the reality or to the event that happened out there. So you're tracking me on that? Yes. No, absolutely. So this, so this is really, this is really good. It kind of reminded me of something. So let's talk about, let me just finish one thing there. I'm sorry to interrupt. So the key thing, the key step towards a mash, the first step towards emotional mastery, being able to most your, um, master your feelings is being able to separate out the fact, what you saw the snake from your, the meaning that you gave it. So if you can separate out the meaning from the fact, then you have the power, all right, to adjust the meaning to the situation that you, to how you want to be in the world, right? People who get too engaged or too, um, they can, they, they collapse the meaning with the fact, right? They don't have the freedom, the internal freedom to choose a different meaning and thus get a different feeling. What I'm saying here is you have control over the meanings that you give things. Therefore, you are able to deter, to, to, to choose how you're going to feel about something. If you change the meaning, you're going to have a different feeling. And that's the first step to mastery of your feelings. No, that's a, that's a great point. And, and just when you mentioned that in itself, I was reminded about, 20 something years ago, I had a mentor of mine who told me, and I was, I was really upset about something. And he was, he came up to me and he goes, why are you so upset? And I was like, oh, cause you know, this person made me upset. He goes, no, he goes, your emotions and your feelings are your own. Nobody, nobody has control over that other than you. And so this kind of took me back to that where, you know, maybe if I would have been able to separate the meaning from the fact that I would have been able to better, you know, regulate my emotions at a younger age. And I think talking about emotions is incredibly important, especially for young and new leaders who may not have that, that time to really kind of go over what it is uh, to have emotional intelligence or even develop emotional intelligence. And, and I agree with you in the fact that you said earlier that a lot of people talk about it but not very many people actually implement it and try it. Now, what is the difference between the people who actually try to become masters of their own emotions and feelings and leaders who don't? What is the impact? Yeah, well, the impact is certainly on the quality of their leadership, right? So if, if you're in a situation, um, well, I've got a good example here. Are you up for an example? Yeah, absolutely. This, this is a, yeah, so this is a good story that happened to me a, a while ago. But it, and it comes back to, your, to the point that your friend made to you that no one makes you angry. You make yourself angry. So a key tenet, a key truth of emotional mastery is you take 100% responsibility for your feelings because you're generating your feelings. No one else is doing it. No one can annoy you. No one can irritate you. No one can piss you off. You do it to yourself. So here's the story. So I was, I, I was running this organization. We had a couple of different offices or buildings around the area. And one of the women in the office, I'll just call her Jill. Jill was changing buildings. 
Jack moved a desk into her cubicle in the new building. She gets to the, she got to the, to the, her, um, the new building with a new desk and found it was really dirty. It had dust bunnies in it and, you know, bent up paper clips and staples and, you know, old, old trash there. All right. So the fact was that she had a dirty desk. Her interpretation of that fact was that she was being disrespected that Jack had left her a dirty dad being disrespected and she got furious. She got furious. So emotions are predispositions to action. So the evolutionary reason why we have emotions is it gets us into action. So if you're angry, the action is you're going to go get seek justice. So she went over and she yelled at Jack. They had a big fight. Because, of course, he wasn't disrespecting her. His interpretation of the situation was he was helping her out by moving the desk into her cubicle so she didn't have to do it. Right? So to answer your question, what's the impact if people can't take responsibility for their meanings that they're giving things and thus taking responsibility for their feelings, is you can have a lot of, of unproductive conflict. Right? Because Jack and Jill started yelling and screaming at each other. Well, it wasn't screaming, but they were yelling at each other. They're really angry. They now were working in the same building, and Russell had to go in there and sort things out. Right? And, of course, they stewed about it for, for weeks afterwards. So the consequence is that you have um, discord and conflict within the team when really what the team needs to be doing is pulling together to get to, to, um, to fulfill the mission of the organization. Yeah, that's, you know, and that's funny how that how that pans out, because I, I would say that would happen in every organization that I've ever been in. At some point, there has always been an argument about a desk and someone's interpretation of being disrespected when, when really it, it wasn't, you know, according to, to the other person. So being able to uh, kind of go over that and separate it and eliminate that un necessary conflict. So as we talk about emotions and we talk about, you know, being able to be aware of them, what is another tool that people can put in their, their tool belt that maybe after listening to this episode today that they can implement right now? Yeah, good. So let's just review what we've got so far. The number one thing is separating out the fact from your interpretation of the fact. When you can do that, you have much more power. You are not at the victim of your emotions there. The question is, if you've got an, a feeling that's not working for you, like you're getting angry, say, how am I looking at this situation such that I'm getting angry? So that's number one, separating out the fact from your interpretation. Two is to take 100% responsibility for your feelings. You're generating your feelings from the meetings that you're giving things. Right? As soon as you give somebody else responsibility for your feelings, like, like you, know, you did with your, your, your friend there, you say, he made me mad, you're giving away power. You're giving the other person power over your feelings. So it's a way of turning yourself into a victim. Don't want to do that, particularly if you're a leader. Right? But here's the key thing. Here's another one. So here's what we've got. On one hand, something, out there, something happens out there in the world. Right? Jack moved a dirty desk into Jill's new office. So you have the fact. Then you have the meaning that you give that fact or that event. And in Jill's case, that she's being disrespected. That meaning generates an emotion. The emotion for her was anger, right? 
emotions are predispositions to action, right? Emotions put us into action. What did she do? She went to yell at Jack, okay? And she got the results she did, which was a fight and not a clean desk, right? She didn't get a clean desk. So that's those five steps. Fact, meaning, emotion, action, results are called the results model. And if you can internalize that results model, okay, it gives you a lot of power because you start with, all right, this fact happened and I'm giving the meaning to this fact. And then you, and I've got an emotion that's generated from that meaning. You stop there. You stop there. You get present. You take a breath. You get mindful, whatever you want to use. You stop there and you ask yourself, okay, what are the results I want from this situation? What are the results I want from this situation? Does my, the feeling I've got, the action I'll take from that feeling, will it get me the results? If yes, great, go ahead, do it. If not, sit back and say, what are the actions I can take that will get me the results I want in this situation, right? So you're consciously changing, maybe even acting against the, your feelings to take actions that get you the results you want. And listen, this is this is standard stuff. You know, if, if you got if you're a parent and your kid drops, you know, his bowl of oatmeal on the floor, your first thought is to get really angry and, and yell at the kid. So you take a couple of deep breaths and say, All right, you want to teach the kid it's not great to dump dump his oatmeal on the floor, right? We do it all the time. Well, some of us do it all the time. But what you really want to do is implement it, is really, really <clears throat> ask yourself. On a regular basis, what are the what are the results I want, and what are the actions I need to take to get those results, despite or in spite of how I'm feeling about it? Thoughts there? No, that that's that's really a great model to to sit there and think through it. And if you're listening to this, uh, you might not real if you've never done this. Um, by the way, you might not realize how intentional of a process this has to be because because if we're just as human creatures right human beings we kind of just feel something and we go with it instinctually and and it's not until you actually sit back and take a, a pause and think through your own emotions and then go what is the action and the result that i want is my action going to get this result and oftentimes i have people because uh, I, I actually implement this uh, quite often, people will just stare at me because as something will happen, I'll pause for a minute and kind of run through a similar model. And they'd be like, are you, are you okay? And I said, yes, I'm thinking through this. <laughs> um, I was like, I'm, I'm thinking through this before I respond. Um, and, and so it may look awkward when, when you first try to implement this because it won't come naturally to you. And so this is hard. And if you think emotions are easy stuff, it's not. And I know you deal with this on a daily basis um, as a leadership coach, but I would say if you're a leader and you're trying to implement this in the midst of high stakes, this is not easy stuff. Nice. It is not easy stuff. It's even more difficult if, like most of us, particularly those who are not trained, mistake our feelings for a direct 100% reflection of reality. If we think that we've been disrespected, like, like Jill thought she was being disrespected, and it was true that she was disrespected, then there's no room for change. If that's the truth, you can't do anything else. You've got to do the truth. So 
disconnecting yourself a little bit intellectually from your feelings, not not to de- deny your feelings or to try and um, repress them, but not to believe that they are the truth. All right. So, yeah, it takes it takes an exceptional person to step back and say. My feelings are telling me to do this, but I know if I do this, I'm going to have bad results. I'm not going to get the results I want. So I'm going to take another action that may conflict with my feelings because I want different results. And that is incredibly hard. Um, as, as you had stated before, uh, that is not easy stuff. And as leaders, um, you know, we, we sign up to do the hard stuff. We, we don't sign up to do the easy stuff and, and to get away with things. So I just wanted to, to stop there with that. A tool in mind and that model in mind for people to be able to use to move forward. So before we go, I would like to ask everybody out there who's listening, if you have a question for Russell, please go uh, to the YouTube video on this one that is posted and leave a comment and ask Russell a question about this topic. Or if you have uh, one in general, uh, you have something there, Let's let's leave a comment there. The other thing I'd like to ask, if you can go to timstateintheobvious.com, you can also email me a question for him, and then we'll also relay that on this topic as well. Now, before we go, I know that we have another episode ahead of us. Russell, if you kind of want to give us a preview of what we're going to be talking about uh, next time. Yeah, so we've talked about courage. We've talked about how to master your feelings. And the last time, the last episode, it's going to be, and, and to be clear that we're, we're only scratching the surface of, of what a, um, a leader, a good leader needs to do, both in terms of emotional intelligence and other kinds of behaviors. But the next one is, I'm calling it master of your fate. So it may say something odd <clears throat> to talk about leaders mastering their fate, but there's a lot of leaders out there that don't know how to design or create their lives. And so what we're going to talk about next time is a key distinction. I, I call it one of the most important distinctions that any human can bring into their life to make the, to, in order to design the life that they want. And that distinction, we call it at effect or at cause. And I'll explain more next week. All right, Russell. Hey, thank you for stopping by and, and, t- and talking with us on this episode. Thank you. All righty. Thank you, Tim. As always, thank you for stopping by and checking out this episode and listening to it. I really hope that you enjoyed it. Before we go, I'd like to ask a favor of you if I could. If you could please share this episode with one or two people who you think might like this topic. If you haven't followed or subscribed on the platform that you're listening to and hit all the bells and icons and all the whistles so that you know that when we post another episode, you'll be alerted, please go ahead and do all that before you go. If you got some value out of this episode, please leave a review or a comment so we can help spread the show to other people who might might be interested in the topics that we've talked about here today, but may not have found our show yet. Again, thanks for stopping by. I'm Tim Staten, stating the obvious.